Hi, everybody. It is then again. With Kane and Klein. Hey, we are here. All right, talking to you on the podcast. Libba, can we do the whole thing like it is? Libba says no, we can't. She says no. So anyway. We'll sneak and do one when Libba's not here. It's going to happen. Somehow. Uh, So the Normans, picking them up. You know, we've dusted them off, put them back on the pedestal. Uh. And, and gosh knows they're on plenty of pedestals. Uh, Everywhere. <laughs> from here to the Mideast, uh, which brings us to the Mediterranean expansion of the Normans. And, you know, I think both of us, I will I will venture to say, grew up learning about Hastings and William the Conqueror right. and all that those things. That was the bread and butter. It was, because that's that's the story you get, because mm-hmm. it's English history, and mm-hmm. you get English history when you read English, usually. <laughs> exactly. But as I got older <laughs> and wiser, well, older, <laughs> we uh, I started looking at, the other places the Normans went, and I will tell you this: if you think the Normans are cool in England, you ain't seen nothing until you get them into southern Italy and Sicily. This is the most mind-blowing, most interesting thing because, again, it's adaptability. When they go south and they start taking town after town in Italy, it's it's interesting to watch how they right. get power, right. and then they start heading across and trying to do the same thing in Sicily. And it works. Well, and the thing for me, and you you are far more steeped in this in this aspect of their history, but what fascinates me about this, and we've alluded to this in a previous podcast, is that this is the time to me that this is sort of to me the full final flowering of what they were when they landed in France in 9-11. This is, this is harking back to great-great-great-grandpa's line of work. Right. Just, just busting into a place and taking it because— Say what you will about the Norman conquest of England, and we will say everything. But say what you will, it was quote legal in Norman eyes. I mean, he really did believe my my law applies. This I had a contract with Edward. Now whether he did or not, I have no doubt he believed it. He truly believed it. So so he got the pope, and he got the pope to sanction it. So this is this is what you might call the nice and legal enterprise. This is not me going out conquering my neighbor. This is me chastising someone who usurped what, have been, what should have been mine. But what I love about your boys in Sicily and in Italy and in Cyprus is they're just freebooting. They are. They are Viking in the truest sense of they, the word. They are. Those De Hotville boys. And, you know, the, <laughs> those, those De Hotville boys. <laughs> that's what they called them. Those de, that, Old Boss Hog had his hands full with them De Hotville boys. That's a sitcom if ever there was one. Um so, so they go south. They start taking these cities. And little and, and here's the interesting thing you have to understand about southern Italy and Sicily. Little little background here. They stick out into the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, absolutely. The Mediterranean Ocean is a vast array of multiple cultures and religions mm-hmm. and world perspectives and trade routes and everything. And Sicily's and right islands in, that are ripe for the taking by whoever the, is strong. And and they want to hold on to them because yeah. Sicily Really is like the it's the crossroads of the Mediterranean and Absolutely. all these cultures more so than it had been in, in Roman days and so Sicily by this point has become arguably one of the most multicultural places in in all of Western Europe North mm-hmm. Africa and, and the Middle East there are Greeks there are obviously the the natives there are diff, the different Muslim groups that mm-hmm. have come into mm-hmm. Sicily and they're all fighting but they've kind of come to this understanding settle down and do business they've settled down and do business there's still rebellions and things so when the normans go across even though they are i will i will go on a limb and say hyper religious Mm -hmm. especially when up in in the duchy the ones who come south 
are a little more open to things. They they do not convert to to Islam. Don't get me wrong. Right. But they, but they're interested in conquering and doing business. And Muslim gold spins the exact same as Christian <laughs> exactly. gold. And so when they begin to conquer, uh, Robert Giscard is the main one, the wily, right? Because he's so sneaky and he does plans that we would consider dishonest, but it seems to work. And once again, giving him the name wily, not dishonest. I mean, that's, that shows you how what sort of esteem they held him in. They, look, they admire a scheme as long as it works. As long as it works. <laughs> and uh, his brother came down after he'd had some success, and Robert didn't want to give him anything because back in my day we had to fight <laughs> yeah, for everything. We had to slaughter our own <laughs> And I'm not going to just kingdom. give you something. <laughs> so Roger kind of got stuck for a while until he started to have some success on his own, and then Robert did say, okay, well, then we'll work together. It's, Rod, it's not Robert Giscard. It's Roger that ends up taking Sicily. Mm-hmm. And he becomes the great count, right? So he unifies this entire island, and he provides forces to Robert. And this is not something that is very well known or studied in amongst Norman people because we're focused on England. But they get an army together, and they take on the Byzantine Empire, which is pretty big and powerful at this point. It's Byzantine. It's Byzantine (laughs) because— who had, in effect, they'd taken Sicily from? The Byzantine Empire, the right. Eastern Empire. And they almost won. This is how powerful these guys have become in, in, in a single generation. They've, right. they've gone from where they're just kind of conquering towns to they're taking on the empire. They and, lose. Right, and is this not... I'm trying to... Glenn, I'm trying to remember. if One of the battles with these guys is, is where they met former Huskarls from England in battle. Because a lot of the Huskarls in England, after the conquest, went in service to Byzantium. And to basically exiles. And yeah. Exiles. But there was, a, there was a, a substantial core of English Huskarls. And so here they get to... To fight Normans fight, again. To fight the Normans again. This time, this time they win. doesn't restore anything. And there, there's, there's, <laughs> one, there's, there's honor. There's one account of the battle. I don't know how true this is, but I like to think it's true. That the Normans and these exiled Huskarls and Anglo-Saxons are fighting so hard and oh, no one will give ground yeah. that the rest of the people in the battle more or less stop, stop. <laughs> and, and to just, just watch, watch this oh. vindictive bloodbath oh, going on God, in the center you, of the lines. Oh, can you imagine? And, and to be honest, this, the, it's the Varangian Guard, Varangian yes. Guard. they basically help stop them taking over the Byzantine Empire. So they, <laughs> exactly. they a lot of them die, but they get them back. But they get them back. Take that. Harold's <laughs> um, still dead. <laughs> so with not being able to take uh, Byzantium, they tend they go back and they begin to focus on consolidation of things in southern Italy, Apulia and Calabria and places mm. like that. And eventually, I'm skipping a little bit, but we get to a fellow named uh, I think it's Roger Roger the first son, mm-hmm. Roger the second, who ends up becoming king of Sicily. He, I mean, they again. Yeah. They go in, a, in in about two and a half generations from freebooters taking cities. Right. They've established from scratch a kingdom because there was no kingdom of Sicily when they it was right. just the island of Sicily. And it's a and it is a beautifully diverse, not quite as violent as it used to be right. kingdom. And that's I think Glenn. That's a key thing is that God knows no one's ever going to say the Normans aren't violent. Oh, they're violent. They can't. But. Without fail, within a generation or two, once once they've got it settled, it becomes peaceful, and they do trade. 
just right. like their Viking forefathers did. And 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 not just trade, but the 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 churches, the, the churches, churches are yeah. tolerant. And and yeah. if, if you want to see some cool architectural stuff, go online and Google Siculo Norman architecture, because this stuff in southern Italy and and especially Sicily, it's this beautiful mix of Romanesque and right. and Islam and these these Romanesque with these big you know Islamic curves and pen and mm-hmm. minarets and things like that. It's this beautiful mix that just doesn't happen anywhere, anywhere. else in the world. Sure. As a matter of fact, while you're online. <laughs> Look up Roger II's coronation robe. It still exists. It's dated about 1130. It is wow. beautiful red scarlet embroidered in pure cloth of gold uh. as king when he was coronated as king of Sicily. And there's writing along the edge. The writing is in Islamic script, not not Latin. It's in Islamic wow. script to show to show how everyone had come together to support this the creation of this kingdom. And and it was he he was powerful, but he couldn't have done it without everyone right. throwing in and saying, yes, you know what? We're going to do it because you get things done. You let us do our own thing. Right. And I feel like we're going, well, this is our, not everyone, but most people, regardless of background or, or religion, we're going to create something that's good for us, right. that works for us. We're not going to answer to Byzantium. We're not going to answer to the popes in Italy. We're not going to answer to anyone. We're going to be us. And you better know that he approved that robe, and he approved that writing, showcasing that pragmatism and adaptability of, of the Norman. But let's get him over to uh, let's get him over to the to the Holy Land. Yeah. So I had skipped ahead a little bit. So he's so this is about eleven thirty when right. when the Kingdom of Sicily takes place. Go back to about the ten nineties. Yeah. Ten eighties to, to some cousins, some other Norman cousins, right. <laughs> and. As we alluded to in the in the first Norman episode, they decide to have a crusade. There's way too much to go into that. Look for a future yeah, that podcast. Needs to be just oh, so many episodes. How to do a crusade? <laughs> episode one thousand ninety nine. But let's, let's we'll, we'll take as read the crusades have started. <laughs> the and, first crusade has started, and and the Normans get into this absolutely because they're very powerful. They see an opportunity again to right. expand, and some of these third and fourth or eleventh sons of lower aristocracy can go somewhere mm-hmm. and set themselves up quite nicely. And and there are groups of Normans that do this. And when it comes time to fight, when they actually get to the Levant and the and the Holy Lands, they fight with their customary ferocity. And here's the thing: it's all well and good to you know march across Europe and Asia Minor, or you know sail across the Mediterranean, and eventually all coalesce as a fighting force there and in uh, the Levant, and it's all well and good to do that and take Jerusalem. Now what? We have to hold it. as Otherwise, what was the whole point? So people have to stay and hold it. And who are some of the fine fine lads that say, well, we'll stay here? Normans. There's Normans. And one of the groups on the First Crusade was was uh, not led but had a large influence by a guy named Tancred de Hauteville. Oh, I wonder if he's related to the Sicily boys. He's a younger, younger brother. Um, so he gets a contingent, and as they're moving down the, the coast trying to get to Jerusalem, they end up, long story short, end up a, a large Norman force, a large part of the Norman forces take this, the city of Antioch. And they sort of say, okay, you know what? We're done. <laughs> exactly. They took it and they, well, and they uh, created. Uh, Norman's uh, Antioch's not Jerusalem. That's fine. We na- we have now the Principality of Antioch. Antioch. Yep. And when you create a uh, king of Jerusalem, you come and talk to us. Maybe one of us will be king. I don't know, but we have a principality now. Thank you. <laughs> well, and 
Bohemond, uh, the son or the how many generations later? Oh my gosh, one um, or two generations. I think two. Maybe just one. How do you, anyway, he becomes king. Of, he's, yeah. he's no longer you know prince of Antioch, king of Antioch. Right. Once again, these these Normans have this tendency to go somewhere else and become king, and you know so the principality of Antioch, run by Normans, and has now a king who may or may not cooperate with who's in charge in Jerusalem and the other Crusader right. states. And and it's and that's I mean this patchwork now, now we're getting into something bigger here but still in the context of Normans. So with that patchwork of Crusader states that we're talking about, each one with its own particular European flavor depending on which contingent right. state right. settled Normandy, there, German, France, yeah. You know, Sicilian. There's a lot of infighting or there are periods of peace or there are periods of benign neglect or that sort of thing. <laughs> Off the top of your head, Glenn, do you remember how long does the, the principality slash kingdom of Antioch last with the Normans in charge? I mean, I've, I've got a picture. I could look it up. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, mean, uh, but, I mean, it's one of the more successful ones. It is. It, it, lasts, it, lasts, um, it lasts longer than the kingdom of Jerusalem. Absolutely. I believe. Yeah, yeah. If I'm, yeah. It, it absolutely <laughs> does. And so, you know, I think with, uh, with the Normans getting that far, so, so now we've got them strung out really from, you know, the homelands of the North Sea— to England and Ireland, all the way to, you know, the doorstep of Constantinople and Antioch, that's a pretty big area for this relatively small group of people to right. sort of explode out of anonymity in the 900s to being what, the rulers of a lot of Europe. And now, now remember, they, they do certainly consider themselves Norman. They do. But they do not answer to a single Norman authority. Right. They, and, right. right. And, and Ethnically, but, we're Norman. Locally, we're whatever political thing is right. happening. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the things. So the Normans burst onto the scene, like you say, and they do so much and they conquer so much and they establish so much. But their decline is also about the same pace. Right. Because, and to a certain extent, because of their adaptability, because where they go, they adapt so much yeah. to the local conditions. After a couple of generations, see Roger II, king of Sicily, they cease to be Norman. Right. And they become, they become where they're at. Right. Same thing with the Normans in England, the right. Normans in the Holy Land, the Normans in Sicily. You know, I think at least in England, you can, do, you can definitely check that progress with, with the language. Absolutely, you know, and that's why that's one of the reasons why I love so much the 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 1300s and and the Middle English of Chaucer because 260 years after the conquest, Chaucer is you know well, not just Chaucer, everyone in England is writing in Middle English because <laughs> it's England and it's Middle English time. But anyway, you can look, you can you can read the Canterbury Tales, and it's uh, and it's it's not Norman French. It's not, it's not Norman French. It's not Anglo-Saxon. And the, the kings that you have, you know, are the Edwards, the prototypical conquering Edwardian English kings. Right. You know, it's, and it's about, a, like you said, about a 150 to 250 years arc. And, you know, the, the, the Norman waters recede and whatever culture was there is still there. And now there's this wonderful admixture. And, you know, we talk a lot about Anglo-Norman England and, and all that because, you know, like you said, we speak English and read English and that's... But, I mean, the same thing happens in France. I mean, they speak French. They follow the French king. They Now, they're also still fiercely to this day, no, no, we're Normans. Yes, we, they are. We live in Normandy. They and are very different. Very. And, but it's still a kind, of, a kind of a nice place to leave this on is, you know, you and I have talked so many times about the, the literal earth, 
earth-changing event that the Norman Conquest is just because of ramifications that have echoed ever since from that relatively small body of water, you know, <laughs> Norman's sailing across. And then, you know, you've been to the to, to the beaches of Normandy. You've you've seen when one time a fleet came from England to Normandy. Came the other direction. Came the other direction, not to conquer but to liberate. And I it's just it's just kinda cool to reflect on that small little area of land, that small little area of water, a thousand years apart, have had huge just huge impact. And it resonates. it resonates. It does. It does. It resonates. And so let it resonate with you, happy listener. <laughs> and, uh, and tune into our other podcasts. And is there, is there anything else we could plug? Visit the website. Uh, follow us and like us on Facebook. Yeah. Do all the things. Instagram. Yeah. Those, <laughs> use those use technology. Use like, uh, yeah. Re- recommend Yeah. So, so in closing, uh, if I could recommend one book on the Normans, I would recommend these two. They're, Hold them up to the microphone. <laughs> Here you go. They're, and and it's, a, it's basically a series. They're both by David C. Douglas. And the first one is The Norman Achievement, which basically takes you through those early years up to about 1100. And then The Norman Fate, 1100 to 1154. So, you, I mean, you can see how it's compressed that, that amount of time. But those, those books really do give the entire flair of my boys, the Normans. <laughs> All right. Y'all then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.